1: the wise men say podcast another victory to talk about for Sunderland we'll also reflect on the start made by Alex Nail and just look to see where we think Sunderland might be at the end of the season based on current form because the playoff race is certainly interesting it's certainly hotting up and uh, we'll ask the question if Sunderland can be amongst it now the top two's gone joining myself Stephen Goldsmith as always is Gareth Barga. Hello, hello. That's it. Hello. I didn't even see. I didn't think you got all the syllables in there. It was just a, no, I a rushed, a rushed yeah. hello. Yeah. James Hunter from the Chronicle joins us as well. Good evening, James. Good evening, gentlemen. Pleasure to be here as ever. Yeah, you don't have to say that, you know. Fair enough. <laughs> 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 all right well no midweek game to discuss so as i've said there we'll just look at the uh, game of the weekend and then we'll just uh, branch out a little bit into um what we think of mr neil generally um and if we think Sullivan are gonna are gonna make the playoffs um a lot of noise i noticed um i, I was listening to the d3 d4 podcast and i think someone got about 20 seconds coverage just in this episode, and. There's a lot of suggestions that you know they have got stuff to be uh have have got to be worried a little bit about the other teams catching us, but you know, back to back wins, James, at the end of the day. Yeah, first time this year. Not bad eh? go. There
2: you go. Last time last time Sunderland had back to back wins, uh, they went top of the table. How about that? Um seems like a long, long time ago now. But but yeah, I mean, let's face it. His back is back-to-back wins against uh, Fleetwood and Crewe, but nothing less than six points would have been acceptable from those two games, would it? You know, two home games against uh, a bottom-of-the-league team and a team also struggling just above the relegation zone. So six points was what was demanded and uh, duly delivered.
1: It was, and, uh, and Sunderland don't always deliver on this, let's be fair. <laughs> How many conversations have we had in the last three years where we're like, right, this is a time where Sunderland need to put the foot down, put the foot in the gas, put the foot in the throat, however you want to... Uh, whatever analogy you want to use, but uh, you know, frankly, they just don't do it and they haven't done it recently either. So, um, general per- thoughts on the performance, Gareth? I think, without it being brilliant, like, you know, it's not unusual for a side who are bottom of the league to come put 10 men behind the ball and make it frustrating for you. And at the end of the day, we've broken down twice as they have tied later on.
3: Yeah, I think the reason we're... <clears throat> probably brought them down is because we changed the way we played and obviously the personnel who we brought in in certain areas of the pitch did things that other players hadn't been doing for the previous 80 minutes. Um, I'm not a big fan of when the centre-backs have got the ball and then you've got like a line of four forwards just kind of stretched right across the 18-yard box up against their defenders and there's no movement and you can't there's nobody coming towards the ball into those spaces. It, it looks horrible. Like it, it looks like you're chasing a game of 20 minutes to go and you're like losing or drawing. Do you know what I mean? And you've chucked all these players on. Um, And that's kind of what it looked like a bit in the first half. You know, Matete was kind of out, uh, left-hand side almost trying to link up with the uh, Wider players down that left-hand side, it create opportunities for Clark to try and get crosses in. But he seemed reluctant to try and go outside his man. He always wanted to come back inside. He kept them seeming to the go back towards the covering defender and closing his opportunities down. So I think it was just it, I kind of agree with Alex and Ian in the sense that you know we did dominate the ball, but I think we probably made it was a little bit brainless at times where we played, considering the players we had out on the pitch.
1: Your thoughts on the overall performance, James? I think are people just going to have to get used to this, this is a, a, a different style again to the previous manager. I think there's an element of that. Um,
2: I think it, it was one of those those games. I mean, how many times have we have we seen Sunderland play well for the majority of a game and then get caught out and concede silly goals and wind up lo- losing? And we've sat and we've discussed it and said, you know, yeah, but it's a 90 or 95 minute game and you've got to play well for all of it. Well, this is kind of the the other side of it. Sunderland, um, you know, the, they left it very late in the game, but they got the goals that that they needed. And I know that it, it, I think Alex Neal made, made a point. He, he said it doesn't really matter whether you win the game in the first five minutes or the first 45 minutes or in the 89th minute. The point is you've got to win and Sunderland did that and that was you know, the, the important thing that was the, that's the key thing. I mean, does it make any difference if you score twice in the first five minutes and then dominate the rest of the game and win two nil? Or if you dominate the game and then score twice in the last five minutes and win two nil, it doesn't make any difference to the result. It maybe affects the perception, people's perception of, of the game. Cause it looks like you've suddenly pulled out of the fire when you get the, the goals right at the end. But you know, the net, net result is the same. I mean, I, I wasn't, Impressed at all with the uh, performance, and certainly in the first half uh, against Crew, it looked like some of them were trying to force it. It looked, to a large degree, as though they thought if they just turned up, they would uh, they would get the points. Um, and Crew dug in and were were dogged and sat behind the ball and were very difficult to break down. And um, that's what teams down at the bottom do. We've seen that loads at the stadium, um, you know, and and, and you can't. Uh, you, you can't criticise them for for going for that strategy, but the point is, it seems that that um, in these last two games, actually, Alex Neal's had a plan B when things haven't been going in Sunderland's way. He's changed things, he's changed approach in the Fleetwood game, he changed system, um, you know, and he, he's been willing to to change the game plan to try and try and try something new. And both times it's worked, and and you know that's a, a positive sign. I think you know how many times have. Have we come away from games after disappointing results and fans have said, there's no plan B, you know, what do we do next? Well, now you've there seems to be a, a head coach here that, that does have options and is prepared to try plan Bs. And, and as I say, in these two games, it's worked.
1: People have been shouting out for late goals as well for the last few years. You yeah. oh, I remember the Roy Keane teams who would... It would, you know, they, they would never give up and they would keep going, and that wasn't always brilliant. In our first season under Roy Keane, there was some, you know, difficult spells that he went through. It's, a, it's an interesting, one, is not it? Because I, I did, you know, I sat there at half time at Fleetwood and felt like it was the lowest I'd ever felt as a Sunderland fan because at that time they we were slipping out of the playoffs. Um, and the football, you know, it wasn't it wasn't good. But I'm prepared to, to think, you know, and we'll look at this later. But early into his reign, if he's finding. Ways to win games at this stage of the season really that should be the the main focus. But uh, nice Gareth to see uh, Dan Neil come back and mm-hmm. look a bit like his old self. Coming yeah, on, yeah, definitely. Plan.
3: I think it's you know it's being borne out of what you said about certain players um, in terms of the um, intensity of things so far. Managing those players who've had a lot of games. <clears throat> Dan definitely one of them alongside Callum Doyle, who, you know, come on that maybe a bit later and, you know, it's quite interesting. You know, Neil's come back refreshing. Doyle was really good at the start of the season. Hopefully <clears throat> he comes back in himself with that sort of renewed vigour like Neil did at the weekend. And the difference between Neil and the other midfielders are that he was willing to play progressive, forward, passive, and not just like... <laughs> you know, try and carry the ball, hold on to the ball for too long, you know, and then just pushing it sideways or back to the defender and things like that. You know, Neil came on it and, you know, the goal was the perfect demonstration of what he can bring, where he picks Stuart out with that pass and then continues his run and gets, you know, the ball back from Stuart and and puts it in. Um, And it was like a really high-quality goal. I mean, both... Both were, but you kind of look at it and go, well, why can't if you look at the options, surely Matete can do what Evans does. I don't think you need Matete and Evans doing the same, they're basically doing the same thing. Don't really see what the point is. You know, you could put you could have Matete doing the Evans role, whatever that may be, and then um, you know, Neil in there alongside him if you, if the if he's fit. But it was good to hear him say, you know, you saw what all the hype was about. And hopefully at the end of the towards the end of the season, we'll be seeing the best of them. Because if we're going to get in the playoffs, we need players who are going to be able to break teams down from open play.
1: Mm. And both goals, James, weren't there? Players playing the ball forward and then following the runs. Which is, it's such so simple football sometimes, isn't it? You know, at any yeah. age group, you would coach that, pick a pass, don't admire your pass, going go and chase it and get the end of something. We're simplifying it a lot there. Um, but we didn't see it really in the early part of the game. So it's good to have players who are, who are going to be prepared to do that. Yeah,
2: I mean, you know, in, in the early part of the game, some of them were trying to use the the width a, a lot more. But, um, you know, as, as time went on, they, they, they came a lot narrower, didn't they, with the with the changes. And both goals came through playing playing the ball on the on the deck in the most congested part of the field, you know, right right in, in the centre of the 18-yard box. So, you know, um, that showed that Sunderland have, were able to pick a way through and were able to find a way through Crew's sort of deep line defence um, so they can un- unlock teams in, in that way. As I say, it was just a change change of approach and obviously Crew had prepared for one thing but, you know, Sunderland were able to change what they were doing and Crew weren't able to deal with that Um you know, in, in in real time and make the changes themselves. Um, that's what the difference in, in the qualities of the, the two squads, you know, amounts to really. And I think that um, the longer Alex Neal has to work with these players, um, the more he'll be able to get his ideas across to them. Um, as you said earlier, you know, you're at a stage of the season, what was there, eight games left now, um, where we kind of have to just, grit the teeth a little bit and, and accept that you've got to get results come what may in, in these last few games to, to get Sunderland in, in the playoffs. Um, in the longer term, when he's had a um, a proper pre-season to work with the players and get his ideas across and maybe tweak the squad a little bit and this, that and the other, um, you'd be expecting more under Alex Neil going forward next season. Um, but between now and the end of April and you know, obviously into May, assuming uh, Sunderland are in the playoffs then, um, it's you know kind of the, the ends have to justify the means, don't they?
1: And, and, and when he came in, he he highlighted the problems with the squad, didn't he? And 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 players like Clark and Roberts were a with a focus or not in terms of you know that just hadn't played enough you know, football. So he'll be happy now that they are contributing because the last two games now that they're involved in goals scoring, scoring a goal each, and, and yeah. being involved. I mean,
3: yeah, he's. I mean, he's been involved in. Clark's been involved in a a couple of the goals. Um, Obviously, on Tuesday night, he kind of created the first one as well. Um, And Yeah, I mean, it was just frustrating. I thought Clark first half, if he just went outside as a man instead of trying to come back in all the time, he probably would have had a little bit more joy um, in getting that ball over. Um, We just seemed to be crossing from the wrong positions. You know, I don't think Clark's a wing back in any in any stretch. Um, but I know sort of the needs must thing. Um, you know, Roberts, I'm sort of kind of reserved judgment on him a little bit at this stage. Um, you know, There's a kind of you know, I think that we see a lot. We've seen a lot of these types of wingers come through Sunderland over the years. I'm aware. You know, they look. Great one week, and then the next week, you're just like, All right, what was that about? sort of thing. So, he had a bit of that, I think, on Tuesday night. Um, but I think the positive, he was, you know, really positive. I think, you know, the person, the player we haven't mentioned, who was probably, I would argue, the best of the subs is probably to Yaku. I thought he was excellent. Um, dri- driving down the outside of his man, pushing him back. Um, you know, he's involved in a number of good passages of play down the right-hand side with Roberts at times. Um, and, you know, he's kind of, he could have easily be, be, have become a bit of a forgotten man given he's missed out um, a few times recently. Um, and he wasn't even on the bench um, the other week. Um, so he's got his chance to get into the squad and he's, he's certainly taken it because I thought he was really excellent when he came on, he I thought he was probably the main sort of positive factor in changing the game for us.
1: I will stretch a game for you, won't he? Whatever you think of him, you know, like raw and, and you know, very inconsistent, James, but he'll he he'll do what you expect the winger to do, won't he?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously he's played
1: in that uh, wing-back role
2: previously, so he's had a you know more experience of, of it there. He, he did make a difference when he came on, obviously he didn't Score a goal, so he didn't get the same sort of attention um, as as Dan Neal and Patrick Roberts. Um, but yeah, on on, on the quiet, he, he did make a difference. And uh, um, the pro- the problem with De'Aku is, and you've mentioned mentioned it already. Uh, you know, he, he's inconsistent. He's he's had starts in games, but not managed to uh, you know ca- catch the eye. He's done uh, from time to time. He's 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 done you know excellent passages of play, he's, he's you know scored a couple of good goals and things. Um It's just getting him to produce that over 90 minutes on a consistent basis and uh, Sunderland haven't been able to get that out of him yet.
3: I, don't, I mean, I don't think that, to be really honest, I don't think they will with the I, I, I just don't think...
1: You think this is him?
3: Yeah. Like at this stage, I mean, obviously he's got a lot of I think he's got a lot of good good attributes. Um but it's it, over ninety minutes. Sometimes he's not. I don't think he's probably involved in the game enough when he starts, um, in, in a in a positive sense. Um, so I think him coming off the bench for like twenty minutes or so. You know we know he's got the ability to 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 score a goal um, as well. So that may be his should be his role. I mean, you, you're probably going to get a bit more consistency over an entire game from a, from Clark or, or Roberts probably, um, or even, well definitely Gooch in terms of when he's on one of his better days, but I, I think he wasn't so great this weekend um, Gooch, was he, and I think it was good to have Jack be able to come on and kind of, just kind of step straight into where he was and, and kind of do a better job um, than, than Gooch was doing, but I guess it's an option for Neil now. If he wants to look at that, if he wants to keep that shape. Maybe he would consider. He oh, could put Jackie there from the start, maybe, um, if he wanted to try it. Um, but it's it's definitely, been- still
1: a place, isn't it? Compared to other teams, you feel like we've still got, you know, whether it's quantity over quality, it's still a, it's still a, a lot of players to call on. I feel in those in those attacking positions, in particular.
2: Well, right, yeah, well, I mean, you know, you you hear other clubs and, and their media staff and, and you know, even the coaching staff at times, when they when they come and they look at the team sheet and they see who, you know, Sunderland have got sitting on, on the bench sometimes and they've got Patrick Roberts and, uh, you know, um, Jack Clark and other people that have been on the bench in recent weeks and they say, well, oh, you know, that's not a bad bench for, for League One, you know, compared to most clubs in League one Sunderland have got an embarrassment of riches, really. And well, finally, yeah, nope, I nope, mean, nope.
3: On, pa- on on paper, yeah, but that's it, isn't it? On it's all about, yeah. about the functionality of the of the group and of those players, and it's just you know far too regularly this in 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 certainly this year. You know, the name the names on the team sheet being irrelevant because we just haven't haven't done what we need to do, and as a result, we've put ourselves in a position where. We've gone from top of the league on the 28th of December, whenever it was, to um, well, this. I mean, looking over our shoulder, you know, it's not in our hands. You know, so. I,
2: th- I think Gareth. You know, you you you've said it yourself. You know, the the on paper, Sunderland have got really good options on on the bench and in the squad, but you know, up to now, really, um, you've been looking at. Jermaine Defoe and Patrick Roberts and um, Jack Clark and you've been looking at players like this and they've barely played. So yes, you know the the good quality players. We know that they've got the ability and uh, and what have you, but they haven't been match fit and they're only just now starting to get to a stage where you'd say that uh, you know they're showing signs of match fitness. And here we are in mid March. Yeah, it's six, six weeks from the end.
1: Of- Six weeks from the end of the season. Yeah, you know? Defoe are gonna score a goal for Sunderland. <laughs> to be fair, I had sympathy with him on Saturdays. You know the way we, you, and you, you touched on the way Sunderland were playing for large parts of the game, Gareth. And you're not shelling the ball forward like that. You're no. not gonna you're not gonna get anything out, of for. Whether it's whether it's this Jemena Defoe or whether it's Jemena Defoe five years ago,
3: just not the right dynamic. You know, to transition the ball from back to front, it was there was just huge gaping spaces in the middle of the park. You Just needed somebody to drop in and take the ball. And there wasn't enough people I didn't feel like running through the lines, sort of thing, trying to disrupt things. It was just a was static sort of standing across the front, waiting for some somebody to you know pump the ball forward. But they were so far apart anyway. If anyone wins a ball, it's gonna be difficult to pick up a second ball. So yeah, I mean it what it
1: wasn't work, and he changed it, and it worked. So and we'll say that because <laughs> I, I I thought he actually was really influential against Fleetwood before. I thought he changed the game in in many ways. Personally, I thought he did well I, against I Fleetwood. He, he, yeah. He dragged their defenders all over the place and created space for others. And um, yeah, I thought he was, thought he was fine, but this just didn't work out for him. I guess yeah. it's another option. It'll be a nice thing when he scores to give a like. Oh that. yeah, I mean the thing is, if he gets. If he
3: can get some more minutes in his legs I mean that's a thing you know what, he's got 70 minutes in his legs again 65 minutes whatever it was
2: yeah, 65 minutes
3: yeah well you had about the same against Burton about 60 minutes was it something like that yeah so its you, know, you know that's that's good you know to you know it's just maybe there's an argument to say could could have had a bit of a run out in the 23s maybe just a half just to try and build that match fitness and the sharpness but they might know they, they might think well that's not really beneficial to a player like him because you know he's, he's he's been around for such a long time maybe they don't feel he needs that but I don't I can't see you know how it could be a Terrible thing either way, unless he got like injured playing for the 23s, which would be like a disaster. Um, but his moment will come like, there's no way, like, I just can't see him not having a positive contribution between now and and the end of the season, whether it's on the 30th of April or the the 21st of, of May. Hopefully, it's the 21st of May, and he scored the winning goal in the playoff final.
1: Indeed, I mean that would.
3: Be, if he doesn't do anything other than that, then it'll have been worth absolutely everything, won't it? So, you know, I if just hope he doesn't doesn't miss
2: a penalty in the shoot. Yeah, yeah, out yeah out No, of, I mean that would. You be know, that'll be the other thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that would be the other side of the coin. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, for all the fitness issues that we've discussed at length, where Jermaine's concerned, there are some things that that aren't related to fitness, you know, your positional awareness and and things like that. And there will come a point, I think, in these final eight games or maybe 11, including the playoffs, um, where he's in the right place at the right time to stick the ball in from very close range, the typical sort of poachers finish. Um, And, you know, that will be the the sort of Jermaine's moment. and, And that's not going to be influenced at all by how match fit or not he is at the time. I mean, he didn't have a, he didn't have a great
3: first sort of six months with us, really, did he? When when he uh, when he joined, if you think about it, I mean, his his majority of his goals all came um in that second and third season, didn't they? Yeah. And um, under Allardyce, and and then and then under Moyes, he scored a few, didn't he? Because um, I, yeah. I think our first Jesse did he have four. He got one against Burnley, one against Everton, obviously the Newcastle one.
2: It was a slow uh, start, wasn't it? If you remember, yeah, he hadn't scored many in that that first half season yeah, when he when he came in, he didn't get many, um, and then it kind of took off from yeah. from there. But you know, you, you the the thing with, with Jermaine is, you know, you can uh, you can look at it many different ways, but he arrives, you know, nowhere near match fit, and he's now playing with players that are not quite on the same. Wavelength as him because he he's played to a to a different standard to to the one that that they're capable of. They're trying to adapt themselves to him. He's trying to adapt themselves to them. I mean, he's 39, so he's not the de before that everybody remembers from his last spell at Sunderland as well. So there's a lot of um, you know integration to go on really to to get him into the squad, and that's kind of why when he came in in, in January, I was thinking, well. Is this a clever move? Because you've got to you've got to look at it and, and say to to yourself, are you going to change the way that you play to suit Jermaine Defoe, or are you going to try and change Jermaine Defoe to suit the way that Sunderland are playing? Um, and and I think this was all part of um, Lee Johnson's reluctance to to sign him at the time. He could sort of see the the issues that we're now debating and discussing over fitness and how he fits in and everything. Um, and that those were the those were
1: his reservations oh, well fingers crossed it all works out I'm sure it will like Garv says I can't as long as he doesn't get injured I can't see him being involved in 8 games in League 1 and, and not further 8 game games impact. yeah yeah so somewhere somewhere down the line so right we'll take a quick break there and then we'll come back and we'll just have a little bit of a discussion about Alex Nail, his um, his initial impact and where we all think Sunderland—they're going to go from here.
0: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
3: Nice dress. Uh, it's a—it's a T-shirt.
0: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Welcome back to the Wise Men Say Podcast. Okay. Alex Neil has been in seven games now, chaps. Um... I did a little bit of research in terms of where our other League 1 managers have found themselves after their first seven games in terms of uh, how many points. Um, Alex Neil has 12 points from his first seven. Um, Lee Johnson got nine points. Phil Parkinson got seven points. Jack Ross is way out on... Well, not way out, 15 points, so three points better off, which, you know, he had a, he had a better team, Jack Ross, and he had a pre-season, didn't he? Um I expanded that a little bit because I feel like 10 games is a, is a is a good amount of time for a manager to really put his stamp on a team. So I had a look to see how um, the previous two managers had done in their first 10 games as well, because um, the good form really kicked in after that. Uh, so Phil Parton's had 12 points in his first 10, four defeats, three draws, three wins. Fellas lost 15th. And then to be fair to him, the good form came there and there was just one defeat and 11 from that, including eight wins. Sort of well over two points per game, which, which took us right back up um, the table sort of fifth. Lee Johnson, first 10, 16 points. Um, it's not great, but it's not terrible. Two defeats, four draws, four wins. And then he had a really good run as well, taking us from seventh to third, where we stayed for a, a while until the wheels came off at the end of the season. So, I think he's doing all right in comparison and and quietly perhaps James putting his stamp on things. Yeah, I mean, he certainly made an impact
2: when you think about um, what came immediately before, you know, the defeats at uh, uh, Cheltenham and, and Bolton and, you know, other such. Calumnies that were committed in uh, Sunderland's season, but I guess if you look at if you look at um, Alex Neil's first seven games in charge, when you say he's got there twelve points. Well, Sunderland got eleven points from Lee Johnson's last seven games in charge, so there's not been a major change there, um, I don't think. Um, what has changed is Sunderland have started to look more defensively secure just of late. That's three clean sheets out of. Out of the last four games, yeah, you're not um, seeing Alex
1: Neal. You're not seeing Alex Neal team get beat six nil you? That's not gonna. Yeah, that's just, are you
2: just. you didn't. You never. You never say never, but never say never. Yeah. But um, but no, I mean, well, to be fair, nobody ever thought a Lee Johnson team would get done six nil until they did get done done six nil. Mm. It doesn't look likely. Five in earlier you know? against rather. Yeah, as well. that's true. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. But you know, I think um, I think that uh, um, Alex Neal has made a priority of, of tightening things up uh, defensively and they've done that and all these tweaks I mean I know Gareth was saying earlier about Jay Matete and uh, Corey Evans, um, was that you know, was it, was it necessary to have, have them both in there well I think he's put them both in there because he was concerned at the way that um, uh, teams have broken on Sunderland when, when Sunderland are given the ball away in, in transition and, and so that's why he's tended to put two more defensively minded um, midfielders in there, if you're going to play with Jack Clark and, uh, you know, Lyndon Gooch and Luke O'Neill in, in more advanced roles. So I think that's, that's kind of behind his, his thinking there. Um, but yeah, I, I've been, I've been quite pleased, as I say, I think his, his tactical um, acumen has, has shone through in the last few games and in the way that he's been able to change things mid, mid game and, um, and things haven't been going Sunderland's way, and it, and it's paid off. Obviously, there'll be times when he tries to change things, and it doesn't pay off. And you know, we'll all we'll all uh, remember this discussion then. But you know, you can only deal with with the games that you've that you've got. And after after that slow start, you know, where uh, drawing against Wimbledon and then um, losing against MK Dons, and then there's another drawing there, wasn't there? I mean, things have picked up certainly, and. And over the last four games particularly.
1: How um, long do you think Gareth your manager needs to put his it's different when it's mid season, isn't it? I, I you know that that's why I didn't include Jack Ross on the on the on the on the wider picture there, because he did have a pre-season and probably the best squad we've had since we've been down here. But we saw with Johnson and we saw with Parkinson, who both, you know, despite how it ended for them, had upturned in, in in form after the first sort of ten games. They did turn things round, both of them. Yeah, and significantly improve things, but it didn't happen straight away.
3: I think the caveat I'd apply to this group is, I think we all know whether, I would argue that the manager on this occasion has inherited a completely imbalanced squad compared to what the other managers had to work with. Um, Some people might disagree with me, but I think it's blatantly obvious what, you know, where where the situate, where the where the problems have of have, have been. Um and the issue we've had, we haven't really been able to confidently rotate players in that side. Um, and we haven't confidently been able to build a a consistent starting eleven um, for the reason that a lot of them who have been playing have been that good. So it's gonna be I think it might take, you could be talking right into the end of the season before we get to see those ideas being, you know, delivered. I mean, what, he's had seven games. You know, maybe when we get the last two or three games of the season, we might be going, yeah, this is, and that's a positive thing because obviously if we're in the playoffs at that point and we hit our peak then, Mentioned a few weeks ago, it'll be a bit of a, you know, first time situation for us in this league because it's always been a case of we're trying to get automatic promotion and we stacked it at the last minute, and the playoffs is like a, a consolation prize that nobody really is up for. It's it's kind of felt like, I don't know, like not even after the Lord Mayor show because you know losing promotion it certainly isn't that. Doesn't apply to that cliche, like losing automatic promotion, but at the same time, it just it, it has kind of felt a little bit hollow, as we saw, you know, in that, that Portsmouth game. Um, as a prime example where, you know, it was one of the lowest attendances of the entire season for the playoff semi final. It just goes to show that people just you know had the stuffing knocked out of them. Um bit of more of an unusual one, obviously with the Lincoln one. A different yeah. journey
1: this year, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's he, mean, yeah, yeah it's... in both of those seasons, the wheels come off at the end, didn't they? Exactly. Jack, Jack Ross threw it away. Yeah, Um, you know, even more than <clears throat> Lee Johnson did. But uh, now it's kind of like we're quite early on when we have established that we're not going to go up automatically. Exactly. Uh, and it needs to be a playoff campaign. So
3: yeah, I mean, it could be. Like, a playoff campaign far too quickly from being a promotion, the automatic promotion campaign? I mean you taught in six weeks. We've completely ruined it, but there's, you know, we got a chance to rebuild and, you know, take do something, you know, try and think more positively about what we're trying to achieve. It's not what we wanted at the start of the year, um, but the the is still there. And I think I said this the other week. You know, we probably got on paper again. James is the best. I'd say the best manager we've probably had since we've been down here. Somebody who's you know, managed at a level above for the majority of his career, like Hamilton aside. Um, you know, managing the Premier League and, and the uh, you know in the Championship, getting the promotion. Um, you know, the, the, there's a there's I think there's a lot of potential with Alex Neal um, to get but get into the Championship. Um, it just feels like, you know, we're, we're clawing back, aren't we? It's that. It's the moment Johnson exited the building up until Alex Neil arrived. That has really killed us. I think not the six nil against Bolton. Bolton, it's that. do mind. They might have beaten us six 0 at that point. I would say six um, 0 against Bolton you know, would definitely I, I think, have killed yeah, the season. Yeah, I think. I think. Yeah, they might have had. A, they might have. They probably would have beat us. You know, in the sort of the Mike Dodds era. Not that it was Mike Dodds' fault, but um, yeah, that little spell and that, you know, the game, especially the games we had as well, you know, Doncaster, Cheltenham, you know, teams have hadn't won for months. Yeah, um,
2: I think that was you know with you know we're we're going over all ground, but I think that's purely down to the powers that be thinking that looking at the fixtures and thinking, well, you know, this is yeah. the time to pull the plug on Lee Johnson. These games will be easy. We'll soon knock these over. And as soon as you start to think that way, um, you know, you're, you're heading for trouble, aren't you? Um, you know, Sunderland found that they should have learned the lesson when, when they did a very similar thing with Phil Parkinson and took one point from uh, Burton and Wigan, who were bottom of the table at the yeah. time. Um, but they, they did it again and misread the situation again, this time even worse. And like you say, yeah. um, an automatic promotion campaign became a playoff campaign uh, very, very quickly. And uh, Stephen was almost um, was almost looking on the same. You know, thank goodness this became a playoff uh, campaign by the early February, yeah, yeah. Um, rather than the last week of the season. Uh, you know, um, but it will change. I think I said the last time I was I was on here. It will change the the atmosphere going into the playoffs. Assuming Sunderland finishing the top six, you know, how maybe look. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying going into the playoffs on a on a high, but there will be such a um, a feeling of um, relief at getting into the playoffs um, as things currently stand, looking at the table, um, that the atmosphere will be totally different. The disappointment will have been felt back in February um, at missing out on automatic promotion, not in April-May time as it was under Jack Ross um, at missing out on on, um, automatic promotion that last week of the season, as they did then makes a big difference I think
1: how have you found him James any dealings with him
2: I think he's he's been uh, he's been great with me Um, I find him quite interesting it's always it's always uh, entertaining when you get a new manager a new coach and Alex Neal is the 19th coach that uh, I've dealt with here at Sunderland permanent coach permanent in inverted commas coach Um, and yeah, he's, he's somebody. Somebody new, somebody different. He says he speaks very intelligently about the game. He's he's clearly not come here to um, to try and be popular and say things that that uh, um, will curry favour with with fans. Um, he's told some pretty harsh truths at, at times, including on that very first game when when he identified the problem with the squad that had probably been staring us all in the face, but we hadn't quite. Clocked onto it, and he he came in a fresh pair of eyes and said, "Right, this is the problem with these two groups within with cli- not cliques, two groups within the squad, um, which which are very uh, you know different." And and I think that just from what what the feedback I get is that that fans seem to uh, seem to like his honesty and and he's he's straight talking. Um, I don't know. Do, do you get that same impression from from what you hear as well?
1: I like I like him personally. I like what it's again something else Gareth mentioned now, the fact he can change games by doing stuff I like when he comes and tells you why he did it. Yeah. It's, it's you don't get the sense of like, you know, Steve Bruce has shove four forwards on the pitch, change a formation for the hell of it just to see if you can make something happen. He'll he'll come on and clearly say, I did this because of that. We weren't getting success there. This enabled us to get success there. I, I do I, I like that about him. Um and it's just nice not you know we we're just all tired of the Lee Johnson talk and over explaining and stuff, and you know
2: I think I think this is a big part of it, you know, Stephen, you know and I, I, obviously obviously, when you're covering the press conferences and writing the stories from the managers, I do think that managers tend to have a, a shelf life with with funds, um, in that you know a manager speaks and so on and so on and so forth. Um, and they start off, and people are engaged, and they, you know, they're quite likely Johnson to, to begin with and what he was saying. But then ultimately, it's kind of, yeah, 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 we've heard everything you've got to say, right? Let's get somebody else, you know, let's have, have a fresh viewpoint on, on this. And I do think that there's there's a bit of that about, you know, modern day fans that they, they want something new after a while, unless things are going really well, of course, you know, don't get me wrong. If you, you've got a manager that's winning your promotion and uh, winning games, then then that's not that's not going to be the case. But if, if you're not having that kind of success, then people people want a change. They want to hear something new. It's kind of you know we've we've heard what this guy's had to say. I don't,
1: I mean, dis- I I think... don't disagree with that. Sorry, Gareth. Yeah,
3: and I just I think the problem was it's when it's. I don't think I think it's less about you get sick of hearing the same voice. It's more about what coming out of that person's mouth and how it tallies with the reality. And I think that's where I think that's why I feel I don't feel I, I, people could say they like Lee Johnson or whatever, but I don't ever felt don't ever feel like people would be like, oh well, he's got he's nailed this, he's got it spot on, sort of thing. At at any point, even when we're winning. You know, I think like it was a bit of a difficult sort of you were like, oh all right, he's gonna say something Stupid, isn't he? Like no matter if we win or lose, you know what I mean? And you know, there's a few, probably a few examples out there of of that. Um, you know, some people might like what he was talking about, some people might have thought it was great, but I feel as though that it's a little bit what what the way Neil speaks about the games a little bit less um <sighs> that's the word I'm looking for. It, it's a lot easier to... It's plain. It's a bit plainer and it's a bit, I think...
1: Less patronising.
3: Yeah, maybe, yeah. And I think it's a bit... I like, I like how direct he is with with his responses and, he's, and like you say, I think that's a key thing. It's like you can explain. Say, look, this is what was the situation the game was and this is... i changed this and this is what I wanted to do and it worked. And, you know, there'll be days where it doesn't as well and he'll probably have to come out and say, this is why we did try to do it and then as a result... Like against Fleetwood, if we if we were locked, we could have easily lost that game. Like you said, like two or three, um, because of the changes he made. But it they had to do it because of the way the game was going, um, and it worked. So
1: yeah, Johnson just he always seemed to like you know reflect on the game as if to say, "Hmm, what did I learn for that game?" And like and but explain it and think out loud about it, and almost speak about the team as if they were a youth team at times. So, you know, the, the way they try to change youth football was actually less coaching and more just allowing players to express themselves, develop game management themselves when they're playing. And that's fine. But when you're in the first team, you sometimes need a little bit of coaching, a little bit of guidance to this is how we we win the game. And it was almost like, I used to feel a Johnson would say, oh yeah, we lost 5-1, but you know, the defenders will have learned from that and they'll not do mm. that again. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all like, like Speakman, it's all long-term, it's all mid-term. And, and, and sometimes it just, you know, that's why I like how proactive Neil is with these games. It's like, that's not working. I'm going to change it and do that. And for me, once you, once you're professional football, I understand that with the development and everything. And, you know, let the kids make their mistakes. And that's the only way they're going to learn and get better. When you're a professional, your head coach really, I think, and and, and Johnson fought, fell short on this to address situations like the hammering at Rotherham, like the hammering at Bolton. He always just failed to, to to act and do something about it, and and I feel like the early signs are that this guy can do that.
3: I think he's going to be. Go on, sorry, you go first, James.
2: I was just going to say, you know, I don't know how interested people are in in like the mechanics of 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 these things. But one thing that strikes me, a big difference between Lee Johnson and Alex Neal is Lee Johnson used to speak almost immediately the game was over. So when I'm sitting up in the press box, not at the stadium of light, because obviously it's a different setup there, but any you know any of the way grounds, you're you sat in, in the press box there, it takes you five minutes at the end of the game to finish off writing your match report, um, and then you need to head down to the pitch to speak to the manager. Well Lee Johnson was more often than not out of the tunnel and already starting doing his interviews before I could even finish the match report. So, you know, massive logistical headache, but people aren't interested in that. But the point is, he's he's coming out, obviously he's heads all over the place after, after the game and he's trying to, uh, you know, answer questions and uh, explain what's just happened uh, very, very quickly after the game. Now, Alex Neil's completely the opposite. Alex Neal is very often half an hour 45 minutes after the game is finished before he comes out and gives his um, analysis of the game he had a bit more time to think about it and a bit more time to to process it and maybe just maybe that you know that's a, a you know a factor in, in the the different approaches Lee Johnson's almost speaking off the top of his head because he hasn't had time to process it because of of how he chose to to do things. Whereas Alex and Neil give themselves a bit, a bit more time. Um, because in that immediate aftermath of a game, it's quite difficult to, to get, um, properly coherent answers out of, out of a coach, any coach, because, you know, the, the, they are, um, they've only just, the game's finished. Their minds are world. They've either seen the team, you know, if the team's lost, particularly, you know, their, their heads all over the place. Um, and then, by the time you next speak to the manager, which will be, in our case, Friday, nobody's interested in the last game. So now they've had, now they've had four, five, six days to reflect on it. Nobody's really interested in speaking to the manager about uh, crew on Friday. It'll obviously be looking ahead uh, to Lincoln. So I think I think it, it does make a difference when a manager speaks as well. That's just my own personal opinion. I can't. Uh, um, you know, say so that everybody will will agree with that, but that's just from a mechanics point of view how how I think it works.
1: That's in- it's an interesting observation that. Really, so he's almost just speaking on instinct, and when he's still emotionally attached to to what's just happened, yeah, yeah, that's interesting point um, Alex Neil didn't like Barnsley's question did he why he asked him if it was back to the drawing board <laughs>
2: well I mean you know uh, we, we do have some fun with Barnsley but, oh, but we we'll love you is... Nick we we'll love you Nick but asking a manager We're...
1: after two wins if he needs to go back to the drawing board maybe not the best way to phrase a question no I'll, I'll, I'll
2: throw this one in here when, when Costell Pantolim used to say I do not like the man with the microphone <laughs> <laughs> So we, all, we always have Nick's life life about that. He does have a tough job because he's the first one up. He's got to try and gauge the mood of the manager, um, you know, um, and you can do it in the, you know, really mild, inoffensive way that you see so many interviewers do and say, so yeah, well, what are your thoughts on that, Alex? Um, or you can actually try and, you know, be more engaged and do something, um, you know, with more of a point to it, which Barnsley tries to do. And on this occasion, Alex Neal jumped down his throat, but, you know, hey, it's tough at the top, Barnsley. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that's part of. Yeah, part don't of to,
2: job, to be fair,
3: I, I think if you listen to the whole thing, he was. He, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think he was. You would probably think bad of somebody for presenting their a question in that manner. That to get the. I'll tell you, like, he's the kind of manager who's like, "Well, that's your opinion. I disagree with it." But he's not going to like go. I don't like it because like you've said this, and I disagreed. You know, so I think it's just the way he is. Quite, yeah. you could probably have quite a plain speaking conversation with some with him about the game and say, well, I don't agree, and he can try and say, well, no, and I'll I'll explain why you're wrong, sort of thing. So I think and that's at quite, the end a the press th- co- I think quite a healthy thing.
2: At the end of the press conference, they were laughing about it, the pair of them as well. Before Alex left, went out of the room, so you know there's no animosity there. It was, yeah. I think, uh, yeah. I think it was just, uh, you know, he caught him caught him off guard, really.
3: Right. I think I think uh, I think it's the obviously Neil's got this rolling contract, and what it's said is it's a to twelve month rolling contract. But it's it's not is it? It's like the first. It's going to be fifteen months or whatever it is, isn't it? His first year, and then because they're not going to, it's a contract's not going to expire next February, is it? So, um, but I'm hopeful.
2: Important
3: in tempering Christian Speakman if he's still here, so and getting that right, um, and getting the recruitment right, and saying you're not gonna, you can't just, you know, you've made these mistakes. This is what I think we need to be doing to balance out your pro, yeah. your, you know, the project or whatever.
1: I'm a lot more positive. He'll, he'll, he'll stress that we need to think about the short term. He's already said that, hasn't yeah. he? He's yeah, already he has, yeah. said it, yeah, yeah. So I think it's going to be. I
3: think it's going to. It's going to be. He's going to have to probably butt heads with them a bit and say, "Look, no, like we need to be doing this as well. We need to have. We need to have a, you know, a bigger focus on the at this stage. You know, four, or five. It could be five seasons in League One. They've they've got a. They've got to just have like, you know, there should be. Looking at the long term as a a bonus at this stage now they've got to get they've got to say right what is going to get us promoted this this year whether it's if if we are in League One next year
2: they've I mean if, look at it that way if that happens um, you know and we all hope it doesn't but if that that happens and Sunderland don't achieve promotion they'll probably be um, better placed next year. Uh, for the for all the reasons that they've struggled this year, because they've given players like Dan Neal and um, you know other youngsters an opportunity, assuming they're still here, of course, people, you know Callum Doyle and, and and others, they'll they'll probably be better placed because those players will have gone through this tough tough season and next year won't be their first year of senior football. Um, so they'll have, they'll have got over the worst part of it. But yeah. Um, Certainly, a better balance between short-term and and longer-term goals this season, um, you know, should have been struck. Uh, it was it was struck the struck wrongly, and of course, it was exciting for, for people to to see younger players, academy players, uh, bring the and bring the average edge of the squad down. Of course, you know, everybody wanted to see that, but perhaps they tried to do a little bit too much in one goal. Um, and like I say, next next season. Um, that might be to Sunderland's advantage, but this season it certainly hasn't been. Up to now, they're kind of uh, having to make up for it, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and you can't, you know, and and some of these young players he you signed, you would hope, would be better next season. They've had the first season to to, to find a way and to iron out some mistakes and stuff. So you don't want to make the same. I don't want to say a mistake because, you know, long term, it might benefit the club and that's fine. But we keep saying here that you need it. any rebuild job needs to be in the championship, really. Um, not down, not down a leg one where unsustainable. And what you don't want to be doing is bringing in a raft of young players who are going to have the same problems as this lot did last year. Just when some of these hopefully are starting to find their feet and needs to be players to complement. The young ones, definitely, I agree, and I do, I am encouraged, like Gareth, that O'Neill seems to already be suggesting that that's, O'Neill, that, um, <laughs> O'Neill, sorry, seems yeah. to be suggesting that um, that that's his line of, of, of thinking as well. Um, in terms of play, uh, we'll we'll will wrap things up just now. But in terms of the league table, um, Sunderland uh, fifth, and of course the, the two teams below them, Plymouth and Sheffield Wednesday, have a couple of games in hand. Don't know which seems to be the the concern. Wickham have dropped to where to have a game in hand, three points behind, uh, four points behind Sunderland, but their form hasn't been great, has it? Um, no. Ipswich are still don't think they're out of it because they're in form. They're only six points behind, and you can cover you can cover six points quite quickly, really, um, yeah. in, in in this league, especially if you know if you're in good form like they are. So, what do we think? Are we are we looking to those ahead of us, or are we looking behind our shoulder here?
3: I, th- I think it'll be also Plymouth joining Sheffield, Oxford, and MK Dons in the playoffs.
1: Or oh, sorry, or oh, also Plymouth. Right.
2: Well, there are some there's some big games coming up, aren't there? Plymouth,
3: there are some... Plymouth have a shocker of a run in, so they've got two relatively straight, well, comparatively straightforward games, and then they've got some bad ones. I don't know if you've pulled the fixtures up, up Stephen. I'll fill. Well, fill. I'll, a, I'll do it. No, I'll just grab it now on my phone. Right. But now I'm sure they have got a play about five of the top eight. I think maybe in their last um, in the last games. Um, let's have a look. Well, well, what we'll probably do is we'll probably. I've got So they've got Portsmouth uh, tomorrow night, and they've got Accrington. Cheltenham, Ipswich, Oxford, Burton, Wickham, Sunderland, Wigan, and MK Dons. That's a, that's quite nasty, isn't it? the la- The last four games are Wickham, Sunderland, Wigan, and MK Dons.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't be wanting that. No,
3: nah, not really. No. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's gonna. It's you know, you never know, but. <laughs> They're going to, they're surely they're going to drop some points in those games. So I just feel as though realistically, and obviously we've got to play them as well. Um, so if we can uh, beat them, then we kind of, one of those games in hand is kind of irrelevant at that point. Um, we've kind of caught, we've kind of dragged one of them back. So. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be us or Plymouth, based on I think Sheffield Wednesday have got quite a nice run in. Um,
1: they the playing well, aren't they? They're, they're, yeah, they're they're the well. Too, yeah, they are playing well. Yeah, they are. They you, are outside the top three. Yeah, well,
3: let's hope they fall out of form before before we get away. Well, let's hope they have their good run. I mean, Oxford tend to do this as well, don't they? They, they have these streaks where they like we'll just win a hatful of games, and then they like win one in six. So, yeah, or well, they get the playoffs and kind of. Just a bit meek, really. So, yeah, I mean, it's good. I mean, I'll be, I'll tell you, it'll be the toughest. It'll be a tough playoff campaign, whoever's in it. Um, yeah. But I would say, you know, the thing that I'll be in, our the, the, fear, the but, standard you know, of the league yeah. this
1: year yeah. It's, it's the highest has been since Jack right. Russell's season, is not it? I
3: think, I think the thing that I'll, the thing that will benefit us playing against the better sides is we really struggle to break teams down who um, you know are compact and don't want to win. They want to come and get a point or whatever. The better teams aren't going to do that. They're going to play a bit more open. And I think that's where we'll, we'll, we'll get a bit more joy. I think we saw that against Wigan. And obviously we played away from home where the emphasis was on Charlton to play a little bit more expansively because they're at home. Um, and I thought that was we played really excellently um, in, in that game in in many respects and and didn't win somehow.
1: Well, if we do get the playoffs, somewhere we're at home first, that's going to come into it a little bit. There's going to be an element of that because if a side comes into the stadium like first leg, they're going they, to draw, aren't they? they're going to want a draw, and they're going to come for you know, maybe and have things quite tight, aren't there? And then back themselves at home, you would have thought
3: maybe, um, but we'll see, won't we? I mean,
1: try and get in the top four, get that advantage
3: yeah um but either way it's going to be very difficult i think um for everyone in everyone in that in that playoff it's going to be you know some some battles in there so
2: it's going to be tough i mean as we said, Sunderland looking over the shoulders, there are teams behind them with games in hand. But Sunderland have been in that situation before, where they've had games in hand of the teams above, yeah. and and nobody knows better than Sunderland that uh, you know that's not always an advantage. Um, so. Um, you know, you'd rather have the points on the board. it not it? it, it, it? I mean, it's typical, it's typical of all of us when we're, when we're sitting down and we're talking, if you've got the points on the board, you're worried about the teams and games in hand. If you've got the games in hand, you're worried because you haven't got the points on the board. You know, whatever situation you're in, you're never, you're never happy, are you? Um, But I think on balance, I'd rather be where Sunderland are right now with the points on the board. Um, it is going to be tough. I think it's going to go right the way down to the wire. You look at the you look at the games that are left, Sunderland have got three uh, really tough games still to go. Rotherham, now you're not going to catch Rotherham, but you've still got to play them at the stadium. Um, and then you've got Oxford and you've got Plymouth as well. Um, in many ways, it's those two away games against Oxford and Plymouth that are going to have a, a bigger bearing on uh, on what happens for Sunderland playoff-wise. I think there's, um, a, there's
3: a strong possibility that by the time we play Rotherham, they could be champions. I would could say. be, um,
2: could be if that if, game is moved and and if yeah it be, when, when it's and when it's moved too as yeah.
3: well. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if our was second last or our fourth last game of the season. That's usually when they squeeze that game in isn't it, but it it wouldn't it be a surprise be. to see us um, play them in the last week after the Plymouth game. So we'd we'd have Plymouth and and, and Rotherham straight after each other, wouldn't? Which would probably be. Um. You know, a nasty little couple of games, but
2: it would be. But I'll throw, I'll, I'll throw a good reason for why you'd want that in there, because the later you leave it, the more chance you've got of Alex Pritchard being involved. Exactly. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. I mean, hopefully, he'll be back sooner rather than later, because he's a massive miss, isn't he? Like, he, yeah. He's re- you know, because he's he's been, you know, since he, <laughs> you know, he really didn't get going until December, but since that Shrewsbury game, I think. Um, he's been outstanding, so yeah.
2: If the Rotherham game stayed, stayed, I don't think it will, but if it stays where it is now, then he's got no chance of playing. But the later you move it, the better chance he's got of being in the team and
1: you know, back up to speed yeah. and, and firing again. Well, he is hoping for that scenario. Then we'll take we might delve into the the fi- the remaining fixtures on, a, on another episode and maybe get some opposition. Um, guests in and we've done that previously haven't we so something to think about but um, as always um, thanks to James for coming on and thank Thank you very much guys thank you to you for listening